everyone. Welcome to episode 57 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me as always is Colin Smullen. Hey, Collins. Hey, Chris. What's up? Not much. How has your weekend, and I guess week, been since we talked last? Some highs and lows. The lows including I broke my arm last Wednesday, so that's not that's great. That's not great. Yeah, that's not <laughs> not an ideal situation. How did that yeah, happen? Yeah. Uh, so I went skating kind of for the first time, and I kind of, I guess I was just a little overconfident and a little too reckless slash fearless, however you want to frame it. Um, and, uh, I got to go in pretty fast and I was kind of still like learning how to do everything and I fell and I didn't really know how to fall. So I like caught myself with my arm at a weird angle. Oh boy. But it's not, it's not that bad. I, it's a, for the medical people out there, it's a non-displaced radial fracture up near the elbow. So I didn't need a cast or anything like that. I've been kind of wearing a sling, but that's mostly to make sure that people don't bump into me <laughs> instead of like actually needing the sling. Um, so, you know, I like, I went to school the next day and everything, so that it was all fine. Okay. I think the real question is how long before you can shuffle your own deck. So I played a IQ this weekend with uh-huh. a sling, <laughs> and that was Yeah, I saw your, your deck choice was questionable for a one-on-one. <laughs> well, yeah, I decided to play Through the Breach, and <laughs> that uh, required a lot of shuffling that my opponents were very, luckily for me, uh, happy to help me out with, but it did feel kind of like a little weird and, and selfish of me to like search my deck awkwardly for a land, put it to play, and then just like not shuffle it at all and give it to them and be like, here, you do this. <laughs> um... At the end of the, near the end of the tournament, my friend uh, Max helped me out with the shuffling part, so that was very helpful, so shout outs to him. But yeah, that was, that was a little entertaining. Yeah, I also ended up with one of the cuter MTG videos I've ever seen. Oh yeah! <laughs> you so round... playing versus Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> round two, I'm playing against Dylan, and Dylan is playing KCI for the first time. He's borrowing Lee's deck, and Dylan... Game one, he gets to the point where I know that I'm dead, so I just kind of concede, right? And game two, so I kept a weird hand that, like, could turbo out Fracturing Gust, but, like, didn't really, like, have any pressure or anything like that. And, you know, I probably should have mulliganed it. It was a six, but I probably should have mulliganed it, because Casey, I can just recover from anything. So, like, you know, I, you know, I, I was able to get a Fracturing Gust off, but then, you know, I still had no pressure, and I just, you know, Dylan was able to claw back into it and start comboing off again. But then at the end of it, it became clear that Dylan... Dylan had never played this deck before, really. And he didn't know how to loop the the Spellbomb to kill me. Ah, he, he, like, didn't know... He should have listened the, to our last episode. Right, exactly, yeah. He didn't know the, the wording to use in order to pay for, like, a cost by sacrificing multiple things. He kept on trying to say, in response to sacrificing this, I'm going to sacrifice these two. And I said, I don't know what you mean by respond. Because I'm going to, you know, we're playing a competitive tournament. I'm going to make sure that he knows how it works. And it was pretty clear that he kind of didn't. But that's okay. So he kind of got, he kind of like finagled his way through it without any infinite loops. And got to the point where he, he like found an infinite loop that drew his whole deck. So he had his whole deck in his hands and he was just kind of staring at it all. And he... You know, I was holding accountable. I was holding accountable for everything. So he like, in order to loop from there, he needed to know the like. He didn't have a deck, right? So he needed to know mm-hmm. the loop that just like deals me two damage every time. 
And yeah. without without knowing the the you know pay for the cost and sacrifice multiple things, you just can't do that. So he kept on trying to. <laughs> You know, he would spell bomb me, and then he would cast like a, a mind stone, and then use that to get back the spell bomb, and then do that because he had his whole deck in his hand, so he could just like do it right. So I knew I was dead. So then I, you know, I kind of just like <laughs> grabbed his 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 hand from him, which was his entire deck, and I said, Dylan, all right, here, I'm going to show you how this works, and I just I just killed myself, and I showed him like how what he's supposed to say in order to explain, you know, the whole like. Um, looping thing with the spell bomb and everything and at that point a couple people had pulled their phones out and <laughs> recorded the whole situation and we were both honestly we were both having a good time because I knew that I was dead and even without him doing it he was gonna be able to combo 20 damage out of it right um, just the slowest most awkward hard way of doing it possible yeah yeah, yeah, yeah for sure play this and deck. I this is you know so I was just like so I just like grabbed his hand from him and like did it for him <laughs> And uh, and he was having a great time, and 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 so a bunch of spectators were around and filming the whole thing, and so the meme for the rest of the tournament was that I uh, I killed myself with my opponent's KCI deck, but <laughs> Dylan yeah, ended he, up going he... on to make top four of that IQ, so you know there you go. Yeah, and then he could actually deal lethal after that, so that's good. Well, right, yeah, and that's mostly why I wanted to explain it to him is because right, you know, right, he needed to be able to kill the rest of his opponents that day, and because it was clear that he he knew how to like get to the point where he could do that, so you know he he knew the hard part, I guess, but yeah, he just like didn't he he hadn't memorized that like loop or and or how to explain it to his opponents, so that was just kind of like a fun little thing that happened on. Uh, in that tournament. And yeah, and the video, I mean, it's on Twitter. I definitely recommend checking it out. It was it was pretty fun. I think Becky tweeted it. Yeah, and that definitely is the hard part, is getting to a point where you can start comboing off. Like, maneuvering the game to that point is the most difficult part. Like, the other stuff is just remembering, like, a list of words. Yeah, exactly. So that's not, exactly. not right. a test of skill, necessarily. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really have any problem, um, you know, just kind of doing it for him and showing him how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So... But yeah, that was um, that. That tournament was uh, a lot of fun for sure. I um, I ended up losing my winning into Michael Braverman. He was playing a like a mono white humans variant with Thalia Heretic Cathar, which ended up being pretty good against me. So, oh yeah. Um, now is that is that like a build that like doesn't play some of the stronger humans but has real sideboard cards? Is that the idea behind it? Yeah, yeah. It plays like paths in the main deck, and it's still a vile deck. But your mana is a little sure. better and. You know, he's uh, he's just kind of like trimming on like the 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 colored humans, and instead mm -hmm. going more towards the like just like a cleaner build with like Champion of the Parish and Kithian and you know Mirren Crusaders and stuff like that. Oh, and like the I think the piece that makes this deck really work was Militia Bugler because all the humans were were I think you know power two or less except for like a, a couple of them I guess. Um, but mm -hmm. the, the list looked pretty clean honestly, and I. Um, I, I do eventually want to get that from him and, and test it out. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, that sounds neat. I did not have a tournament to go to this weekend. I was thinking about a standard Magic Online PTQ, but it starts kind of late at night for me, and I went yeah. and hung out with friends instead of doing that. So hopefully in the future, when I'm in a, a more convenient time zone for those sorts of things, I'll be able to run more of those. So before we get into stuff... We should take a second to thank our patrons. So thanks so much to everybody who has offered support, who's hanging out in the Discord. We definitely have a good time with that. Really means a lot to us that people are, you know, subscribing and, and, and showing their support. Uh, new patrons for this week, we've got Dana. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. 
And we're going to do a little bit of a different episode this week. So we're not going to go as hard-hitting on magic strategy this time. Uh, next week, I think we're going to go pretty deep into Vengevine, because that's what I am working on for upcoming couple of GPs, and I have some serious thoughts with a capital S and capital T about uh, choices and in, in deck construction for that. But I'm not quite confident enough to shout out all of my Vengevine opinions to everyone quite yet. So, <laughs> Yeah, um, I feel that for sure. Hopefully after one big tournament and, you know, a, a dozen more leagues or something like that, I'll, I'll be able to say things unequivocally. So get ready for, for a hard-hitting journalistic magic strategy episode next week. But this week, we kind of have two things we want to talk about. So magic Twitter has been aflame with various topics and uh, if, uh, we, we if you're tired of them, though, so. we didn't start the fire. It's been always burning. Um, <laughs> if you're if you're tired of talking about these things, then I'm sorry, but hopefully uh, you will find our takes reasoned and nuanced. But we're not going to spend too much time. We're going to get through all the yeah, because I think some of these things are legitimately interesting and and need to be talked about. So uh, I, I think you know it'll be good for us to talk about them. But then Collins has a topic that uh, he's really wanted to get into, and I think this is a good opportunity to spend a, a big chunk of the show on that. So, But but you're definitely going to be better at, at previewing this than I am, so if you want to just explain that, and then we'll get into the... Yeah, we'll get into the juicy stuff. Yeah, so essentially, I don't really know how to start this. Essentially, I've been, I've been kind of uh, entering into a new chapter of my life, I guess. I just mm -hmm. recently decided to go back to school after like a five-year hiatus. And so I kind of want to take a little bit of time and share my life story, uh, I guess, a little bit and um, the reasons why I'm going back to school. Because I think that a lot of Magic players might be able to relate to, you know, some of the things that I've gone through and stuff like that. And, you know, you might be interested in hearing my life story. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I just want to <laughs> use this platform to kind of share and talk about that a little bit and catch some people up on what's going on with me. Yeah. So, you know, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to do this podcast every week with Chris, and I'm still going to be playing in tournaments. But um, I, I've had a lot of, like, really interesting, you know, life lessons, I guess, that I've been able to hash out recently. So I kind of want to share a little bit of that. So stay tuned. Yeah, and that should take up the the bulk of the episode. Hopefully we get through this, you know, Hall of Fame and Chalice Gutshot stuff uh, <laughs> relatively quickly. Uh, sure. We're going to... We're going to work our way through all of that and then then get to the good stuff. So I, I've written down a list. It's in no particular order. I think we just, we're going to hit the headlines, give our takes, and, and sort of move on. Uh, I think yeah. kind of the a biggest... Lot of, a lot of stuff happened this weekend that was kind of like hot-button topic-y, kind of like in the magic sphere, I guess. Yeah, kind of all at once. It's been kind of chaos yeah. right at the moment. Right. Um, one of the bigger uh, ones was... So Alex Bertoncini just made the top eight of GPLA, and he, you know, he's kind of for a while now been the magic villain, right? He's notorious for cheating. Um, people don't like him. Um, people think that he doesn't deserve to play magic at tournaments anymore. But here he is, you know, having success. He's back on the pro tour from this GP top eight. I think he was before this one too, but yeah, he... The, this this also gives him a, a, a cue. So he's definitely on the Pro yeah. Tour now, has a GP Top 8. Lots of people have to play against him in their right. premier events. So that that's what's going on right now. Yeah, so, you know, kind of like a lot of a lot of hot takes going on around, you know, whether or not he should be able to play anymore. 
just kind of like all the things associated with that. The discussion has led towards like stealing a little bit. Like we, you know, we know that Alex Bergini has shown no, you know, remorse. He's not like sad about cheating in the past. He doesn't really care is what I've heard from, you know, from certain people. And, you know, if, if the story was different, I think that people would have a different take on it where, you know, if he's like, guys, it's, you know, I'm sorry for cheating in the past. I've done it, but I'm trying to move on from that or whatever. Like, none of that's ever happened. He's never really spoken out about anything like that. So the assumption is that he, he, he's, he just is, doesn't care and is going to continue cheating if that's, you know, if he's not going to, as long as he's not going to get caught. Um, and because of that, people, people don't want him in our game anymore. But, you know, here he is continuing to play and, um, and having success. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to determine for sure whether or not the success is due to the cheating or whether or not he's just a good magic player. But, you know, the problem is that we just, you know, we just don't know. And that makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. So I think that he mostly actually just kind of represents this part of magic that we don't like to acknowledge and we don't like to talk about a lot of the time. And, and that is the, the fact that cheating does happen at magic tournaments. And whenever, whenever Bertoncini is in the, you know, headlines again, we're just kind of reminded of that fact. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And, uh, and he's kind of like the figurehead, I guess, for, or has become yeah. the figurehead for that. So, you know, uh, just like a lot of, a lot of emotions going around on Twitter because of all that. I, I think that I fall pretty firmly in the camp that I believe that he should not be able to play Magic anymore because of, more because of the attitude that he's given surrounding his cheating accusations in, and not the fact that he's cheated in the past. Like an example of that I think is that, you know, Marcio Carvalho is also kind of been in the headlines lately because he's up for the MTG Hall of Fame. I have no problems with Marcio Carvalho playing Magic right now. It is my opinion that he is now clean, and I think that he is very good and deserving of the the Pro Tour top eights that he's received, you know, recently. So it's kind of interesting to, to see kind of like how I draw that line between Marcio Carvalho, who I don't really have any problems with because I know that he has tried to get his act together and, and, and been more clean recently, and Bertoncini, who's just kind of shown no remorse and doesn't really care about the community or about cheating in general. So... I guess that kind of gives an idea of where my stance is on, on that stuff. I think some people are really hardline. If you've ever cheated, then you just shouldn't be able to play anymore. I don't really follow that logic as well. I think that if you, um, you know, people grow as, as people, and if we prevent people from being able to get better, then there becomes no incentive to be better. And once you start doing that as a community, that becomes really toxic and, and unforgiving and kind of just impossible to, to exist in. So I think that, you know, I want to give people opportunities to be, to better themselves and to improve as people. And, you know, and I don't want to, you know, I think that punishments are appropriate and, you know, like a year or two year suspension is like appropriate a lot of the time. But in terms of like, you know, permanently banning somebody, it's, it's tough, right? Uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's so hard to kind of like figure out where their line is because it does feel like Alex Bertoncini should be permanently banned because he has demonstrated that he doesn't really care about, you know, improving himself. And, you know, so in his specific instance, I think that it's, it could be reasonable to permanently ban him. But, you know, it, if like anybody else cheats 
and then you know grows as a person and like a year or two later want to continue playing magic i don't think that we should take that away from them but it's it the you know defining whether or not somebody's actually grown as a person or is just lying to the cameras is kind of an impossible task so you know that's kind of where we are with that yeah I, and i think for, for me i think it's too hard to determine when someone is actually contrite and actually reformed and if that becomes like part almost of the, impossible really and that's right. part of the problem <laughs> And, and, and then if that becomes part of the, like, official equation for determining if someone should stay banned, then that just becomes another cheat, is lying about whether or not you are reformed or not. Like, it's it's easy to to see that Burton Genie is the bad guy because he doesn't really bother covering up that he doesn't really care. That by itself makes it, like, like it does make it easier to say, all right, he should not be allowed to play Magic because, like, he clearly isn't there's no indication that he's taking steps to play cleaner and there's just no bonus there's no good result of having him in these tournaments like after the gp you just like have stories about potential cheats that he was doing during the tournament himself like little cheats of opportunity like uh adding a loyalty like like plus twoing to fairy instead of plus oneing it and maybe his opponent doesn't notice and, and and small things like that maybe it's sloppy play but with someone like him you can't give him the benefit of the doubt really when you you hear that stuff so i i don't you know and then every top eight he makes everybody who who he beat in the tournament everybody who got ninth on breakers or whatever or, or you know missed cash on breakers or something like that by one place it now pretty much is going to feel like they were robbed of whatever reward they were going to get that that they didn't get because he was in the tournament. And I think you just kind of assume that his wins aren't all legitimately earned at this point. So not a good situation. I don't know that the, the solution that Wizards has right now, which is just never putting him on coverage until they're forced to because it's the top eight... I don't think that that is a good solution. I think that Wizards' silence on this point has been kind of deafening, and I think that a response from them about the situation, if they're not going to do anything, I think that they need to explain why, and they need to be very clear about why they're not going to do anything, and just not doing anything with no explanation at all feels really unacceptable as an enfranchised player who cares about these things and will be at GPs that this guy is playing in. Somebody made a, an interesting point on, I, you know, on some social media platform that I read where maybe one of the better options is to put him on camera more often and right. uh, kind of like embrace the fact that he is kind of this, you know, this figure of behind cheating a lot and you know, use that as a platform to, to kind of address that issue and, you know, and maybe putting him on camera, you know, prevents him from cheating more often, you know what I mean? Maybe. Um, because I think that most of his bans came from cheats that were discovered on camera. So, you know, now that we've, like, if if our attitude is that we're just never going to put him on camera, that just feels like we're helping him out a little bit. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, right. don't worry about it, Alex. You're never going to be on camera. So, never, you know, none of your cheats are ever going to be recorded. <laughs> it just seems like such a silly thing. Yeah, and one other thing you can do, and, and this is something that I kind of recommend doing with any person you suspect of being a cheater, is 
if you're if you've got some downtime in a tournament, if you're not doing anything and they've still got a match going on, like just go watch their match and like help out the person that they're playing against. And if something isn't right and you notice it, then you can call the judge. And right. you know if people if if you know enough people do this so that somebody is birding every one of his matches, it's gonna be real tough for him to like tick up to fairy for an extra loyalty or or whatever he's you know take a bunch of game actions and play an extra land or whatever he's trying to do. So that's an option for something that we can do. But I think that, you know, as players who are just trying to go like play the game that we like and have a good tournament on our own, you know, it's not our responsibility to go in there and and fix this. And I think our response from Wizards is, is necessary at this point. I agree. On the subject of cheating in general, what's been really kind of interesting is the way that allegations kind of pop out during hall of fame season so that like almost everybody nominated or or you know that's a, a possible vote in for the hall of fame this year people have have come out i don't know if i want to call it like coming out of the woodwork but it's definitely like timed to to say hey you know maybe you shouldn't vote for this person because and then giving an instance of and they're usually like kind of subtle, difficult to catch things like slow playing, maybe intentionally, you know, like, like, I, I guess one of the ones that kicked this off was uh, Caleb Durward talking about why he wouldn't be voting for Li Shi Tian because of some kind of questionable things that he's done, uh, says he, he thinks that he's a, a an opportunistic cheater. So this is one of the weirder parts of like professional magic is kind of every time hall of fame season rolls around this sort of thing happens and we get these like rumors and they're so hard to evaluate and 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 verify uh and it just like casts this really negative pall over the highest level of competitive play you know while i believe that for example marcio carvalho should be allowed to play in tournaments um because i you know i believe that he's doing what he can to to kind of you know um, mm-hmm. be a cleaner player. I <clears throat> I also kind of like have a hardball stance when it comes to the ha- the Hall of Fame where I believe that if you have cheated in the past, you should not be eligible for the Hall of Fame. I yep. think it should be that clear and clean cut. Because we're not talking about being able to play Magic. We're talking about the Magic Gathering Hall of Fame. You know, it feels like there, you know, the the qualifications that you should have in order to be eligible for the Hall of Fame and be inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think should be very difficult to obtain. And I think that your, you know, your your record throughout your history playing Magic should be clean. And I guess that's like a, a perspective that a lot of people have because, you know, because the Hall of Fame discussions is when a lot of things come up in terms of cheating and everything. So I, you know, personally for, for the Hall of Fame, I, I have kind of a hardball stance on you know, if you have in, in your history ever cheated, then I think that that should just make you ineligible for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I guess the question is like, what do we mean by that? I think I agree. Anyone who has been suspended and not allowed to play in tournaments for mm-hmm. intentional cheating, uh, if you've been suspended from organized play, I think that that should be an automatic disqualification. So certainly that would exclude Marcio Carvalho. But then these kind of... I don't know if they're, you know, necessarily unfounded allegations, but these, you know, we even have people saying that like Seth Manfield 
uh, intentionally stalled through a game. And that seems, you know, maybe, I don't know. I wasn't there at any of these things. But I, I don't know. It just feels like some of these things happen during Hall of Fame season and they come out and I don't know if it's some amount of jealousy and then people latch onto it because they want to kind of believe like, you know, oh, this potential Hall of Fame is really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people latch onto the drama or they want to believe like these people aren't actually that much better than them and they, you know, they they exploit the rules or, or whatever and that's like one of the ways they get edges and like that's why Seth Manfield has a 20% top eight conversion rate in pro tours is because he's right yeah slow playing when it's beneficial and and i i just think that there's something a little bit disingenuous about some of these definitely not all of them i i believe that some people are really trying to get the truth out there but some of these accusations definitely feel less than reasonable to me no i and i 100 percent agree i think that a vast majority of the cheating accusations against the People currently in the Hall of Fame are unfounded. I think Seth Manfield is kind of a really good example of pretty much exactly what you're saying. Is Seth Manfield, if you if you've ever watched him play Magic, you should understand that Seth Manfield is better than you at Magic. He's in he's insanely talented, you know, strategically, tactically, you know, all these things. He, you know, every time I watch him play Magic, I feel like I learn something new. It's it's really incredible. And so kind of like seeing that and then, you know, seeing his stats, I'm not surprised that Seth Manfield has the stats that he has based on based on the way that I've seen him play. And I agree that um, um, I think that a majority of the accusations uh, against him in particular are are completely unfounded. I don't think that Seth Manfield's a cheater because every time I ask somebody who accuses Seth Manfield of cheating why they are accusing him of cheating, um, the only response I've ever gotten is because his record is just silly or his win percentage is just silly. And, you know, and if you're, if that's ever your reason for accusing somebody of cheating, then you, you're <laughs> way off base. You're way who off was, base. Who was talking about it? I, what were we, I, I don't think we were talking about this on the show. Maybe I was listening to another podcast or something when somebody was talking about how on a testing team with Seth Manfield, they needed to disregard results of playtesting games that he was in because <laughs> right. he his play was his level of play was just so insane that it was skewing deck results so so like decks would seem like 55 percent decks when they were actually not favored against anything in the field because he was just playing better than anyone in the room <laughs> yeah and 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 i'm not surprised you know i i you know i've seen him play you know both in person on camera all sorts of stuff and I, you know, my read is that he's just, he's just, you know, one of the best players in the world. And, you know, so, so when, you know, it's, it's so hard to say because there's no certainties, you know, I don't know a hundred percent that he's never cheated or whatever, but you know, when I'm hearing these kind of like accusations that come out of nowhere on, on, and him in particular, I just think it's silly. And, and when I see that happening, then I also am looking at the accusations going towards the rest of the candidates of the hall of fame. And I'm like, all right, but really, like, I this feels this feels unfounded a lot of the time, um, yeah. and it's probably a social thing. It's probably because you know people want to get riled up about something or something like that. And there's a there's a a, a big cachet to seeing the mighty fall. Like we right, all want to sure. see that at, at least you know internally. So 
But I, I think if I were voting for the Hall of Fame, I, I, so I think I think that the one line, like, if you've ever been suspended, I, I think you should not be allowed in the Hall yeah. of Fame. Yeah, if you've ever been suspended, then, you know, you made a mistake. I'm sorry. But you, in terms of making the Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame, you've blown it. It's over. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. That's what I believe should be true. The Hall of Fame should be the the tip top, the best yeah. of the best in not just winning the highest percentage of matches, but being a right. representative of the game. Yeah, you, you, in order to be in the Hall of Fame, I think that you need to be an exemplary member of our community, both in mm-hmm. terms of play skill and in terms of, you know, integrity. And I, while I believe that you can definitely do a lot of things to better yourself, and I think that you should have the opportunity to do that, in terms of making the Hall of Fame, I think that, you know, my my standards for, for making the Hall of Fame are... Are, they, they just are, have to be high. high and yeah. um you know and i don't think that that should be something that right. you should have access to anymore sorry but as far as these like you know allegations of cheating or shady play or or whatever go i think you know if i were voting for for the hall of fame i think i would want to be very careful which stories i am trusting it would need to be mm-hmm. like very concrete examples yeah ideally multiple of them coming from coming from sources i trust like for example i think that caleb durward probably has a good is making a good point when he's talking about like a very specific example of where he believes that lishi chan was stalling you know you have to really critically analyze these these you know stories that people are coming up with right so you know there there might be some weight to the allegations against Li Shi Qian, but it's so hard to tell, and it's so and it's so difficult, especially because I know that we are you know that part of our community is yeah. making unfounded accusations. So and now, as far as who of this like candidate class should be in the Hall of Fame, um, I'm gonna go out a, a little bit on my own here, uh, and I don't think that the magic hall of fame as it currently exists makes very much sense at all yeah i i honestly i don't think there should be a magic hall of fame right now i think you know the game has been around for 25 years pro play has been around for about 20 you know the first couple of years of pro play were just kind of nonsense shenanigans um (laughs) but those top eights like still count and stuff i i don't think that the game has been in a mature competitive state for long enough that a hall of fame makes very much sense and hall of fames for sports are these like historical documents that you know take the history of the game and say this was important this person you know changed the game or was spectacular in a way that other people just were not you know the the baseball hall of fame only has a couple hundred members in it and it's you know the game of baseball you know the game yeah. of professionally played baseball is over a hundred years old at this point and and many more you, you know l- larger number of professional players bigger audience that sort of thing so to have a hall of fame that's 10 years old now and has like 45 members in it for a game that's like 20 years old is crazy to me and yeah. the fact that now we're talking about voting in Lishi Tian and Seth Manfield players who are at the absolute height of their abilities right now and and magic is different from baseball like like sports you age out and you become a part of the history of the game and and you're not able to play anymore and magic isn't really like that um 
But like the concept of a Hall of Fame is kind of established in our minds as this historical record. And to put like the best players from current day into the Hall of Fame kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And also, I just think that the threshold for being voted in is is way too low. There's no way we should have 45 people in the Hall of Fame. I feel like my yeah. Hall of Fame is like like Kai, Finkel, Nassif, a couple of the 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 Japanese guys who completely dominated Magic and and, and L, maybe LSV and like like three or four more people. Like it's like the Hall of Fame should be the best of the best, the absolute greatest. And there's just too many people on here that it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me that yeah. they're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I de- yeah, I definitely agree with the assessment that it's kind of too easy to get into the Magic: The Gathering Hall of Fame. And we've kind of set the bar a little too low. And mm-hmm. and part of the problem is that Wizards is kind of using the Hall of Fame to give out more benefits to the pro community. Because once you're a Hall of Famer, then you suddenly have access to a, a lot of, you know, both financial and, you know, invite benefits that you just get to take for granted for the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. But it feels like, you know, while it's good that they're setting up some sort of system that, that's doing that, I think that the Hall of Fame is not what that should be about. I think that, you know, they should be doing more to give benefits to the people who are currently playing Magic the Gathering professionally, like the Platinum and the Gold Pros, and the Hall of Famers should, it you know, it should be both harder to get into and not something that's like, you know, something that's more about notoriety and and less about, you know, an accomplishment that you hit during your career so that you can glide through the rest of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think another part of the problem is that, that Wizards wants to induct multiple members of the Hall of Fame every year. It's like, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like grasping for more th- reasons for, you know, people to get excited about Magic and... And I think that they use the Hall of Fame as one of those like publicity tools of like, you know, who's getting into the Hall of Fame this year? Let's for all sure. talk about it and let's let's have this big induction ceremony. And in order for that to happen at this consistent level, they have to have like, a, you know, one or two members every year. Um, they actually have a minimum. Uh, and Who, that, even if know, nobody hits the threshold, whoever gets the most votes gets into the right. hall of fame yeah they, and they set it up one. so that there will be at least you know one member inducted to the hall of fame which is crazy um, to me and i just don't think that that should be true yeah there's so, no guarantee yeah. that one of the people deserves to be in the hall of fame and by by the rules set up like the voting threshold of 60 percent, like often there just won't be and that's okay like we don't need yeah, ten right. years from now every pro tour to be twenty five percent people who are there on their Hall of Fame invitations. Like, <laughs> yeah. what does the Hall of Fame even mean at this yeah. point? So, I, I the only person that I I think, and, and this is based on like my image of what the Hall of Fame should be, which is like recognizing players who are a part of the game's history and, and ideally don't really play anymore. So I think like like Herber Holtz would be a, a totally fine Hall of Fame candidate. I just don't mm-hmm. think that somebody who top-aided a Pro Tour this year is somebody who should be ending up in the Hall of Fame. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, our definitions of and our ideas of the Hall of Fame are, I feel like, so different than what the Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame is actually used for. Yep. Um, so, you know, maybe we need to change our perceptions of it and just accept the fact that it's this, you know... It's just another pro status, right? 
Because realistically, right now, it's just another pro status. Right, right. It's just um, lifetime silver, or lifetime yeah. gold, I guess, is what it is, basically. Um, right. So, and it's it's going to be hard and almost even impossible to to make any kind of change to the Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame because, you know, the it's it would be so strange to kind of, like, change the benefits and the system of the Hall of Fame kind of, like, you know after 25 years or after 10 years of it existing you know what i mean right so you know wizards has kind of dug themselves in a little hole there so yeah and you've got the argument of like hey i i worked this hard specifically because i wanted to end up voted into the hall of fame and get the benefits there which is like pretty gross i don't like that that argument exists at all because that to me is just not what a hall of fame should be but right, right. it's it's what we've built right now and yeah, I, I think the Hall of Fame is just a big problem right now. <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess that kind of summarizes our thoughts on that then. Yeah. Oh, the, one, the other one thing is Marrow's, uh, Mark Rosewater is talking about how Mike Long should be in the Hall of Fame because he promoted him as like a heel early in Magic's history. Uh, I think number one is... Like, completely ignoring the fact that Mike Long was a cheater and made tournaments miserable for people that he played against. Like, regardless of what role Mark Rosewater had in promoting him as a heel. Uh, like, I, I have a VHS tape that somebody bought at a thrift store because they saw it was a Magic the Gathering thing and they, they wanted to, to give it to me. And there's video on this VHS tape of Mike Long playing in a World Championship or a Pro Tour in the, in the 90s. And just he was like squatting on top of his chair and like prodding his opponent to make plays at times where they were legitimately thinking about things like he just looked miserable to play against that's not because of mark rosewater promoting him as a heel to to grow the game and then to to say that uh, you know you should vote for mike long for hall of fame he deserves it because of what i did to his reputation or whatever I think that's really tone deaf given like Wizards silence on having Burton Genie playing Magic right now and that sort of thing. So that is troubling to to see from Mark Rosewater to me. I see what you're saying, for sure. Yep. And and yeah, I I also agree that it's pretty silly that Maro is promoting Mike Long for the Hall of Fame, especially <laughs> given my stance on on how I you know, and and you agree with this is that the I think that the standard for uh, entering into the Magic Hall of Fame should, if anything, go up, not be, you know, downgraded to, right, um, you know, whatever that is, <laughs> and, and and certainly so. start at not having been suspended from Magic. That would be a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know, if it's just it's just okay for for us to be able to say that if you've messed up in your past, you can't get this. Like the highest honor that we can give to a Magic the Gathering right. player, this lifetime reward. Um, it's just not something that people should expect to be able to get into. I think is like the bottom line for me. I think there are a lot of Magic players who are just like, I know that once I get my fifth Pro Tour top eight and have been playing long enough that I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I just think that that is such like an arrogant and silly notion that exists right now. And mm -hmm. the sad part is that it it's reasonable for that to exist because it, you know if you hit five pro tour top eights and you've been playing magic for long enough given the current system you will end up in the hall of fame as long as you know yep you know you're you're reasonable enough otherwise and 
you know, I just want my standards to be higher than, than that, especially, you know, and I think that we should put more weight on, uh, you know, the content of their character. Yep. I, I, I think I agree completely. All right, a short one now. Uh, chalice checking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> chalice checking. So your opponent's at um, one. You've got a gut shot. There is a chalice in play at one. So my, my stance on this is really simple. If your opponent has a chalice in play, chalice check away. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with making sure that they remember their trigger. If you have a chalice yeah. in play and you try to cast a gut shot to try to kill your opponent or try to get them to scoop after seeing you're casting the gut shot, if you cast a one-mana spell and you have a chalice in play and your words are not gut shot trigger, you are cheating. That is completely it's completely unacceptable to do anything else it's it's just true that if you intentionally miss your own triggers uh regardless of whether or not they are detrimental you are cheating that's just that's just in the magic rules and uh and pretty clear cut so if you control your chalice then the trigger belongs to you and if you intentionally miss that then then you're cheating, and that's just kind of as, as as clear as it gets. You know what I mean? And I think if you if you wait and you try to see if your opponent scoops, I think that indicates that you have missed that trigger because that's common shorthand for saying that you're passing priority, and you can't pass priority without without announcing that trigger. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with that is that if you allow your opponent con- to concede. Um, that to me is an indication that you are acknowledging that your trigger is not happening and your opponent is, 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 is losing the game there. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, checking your opponent on their triggers, um, and a common example is Chalice, I think is, uh, pretty fine on, on all accounts in, in Magic. Um, if, if your opponents ever make mistakes in the game... You know, I think that that's just another part of, you know, playing Magic in a paper setting. Um, and it kind of feels weird to some people because they're, like, might be primarily online players where that element doesn't exist. But the reality is that, that you know, and, and this isn't true in an ideal sense, but it is true in a, in a real sense where, um, you know, Magic Online and Paper Magic are two different entities. You know, Paper Magic, you, you are more res- responsible for you know, keeping track of, of all of your stuff, right? And, you know, and maybe that's not how it should be. I'm not really speaking to that. I'm just talking about, you know, what it, how it is today, um, given the current, you know, setup of how, of how everything works. I mean, we've worked um, through so, lots know. of different iterations of the trigger rule. And right. the current iteration where you have to remember your own triggers or, you know, you do lose out is the best one we've got so i think working within that framework no problem making sure your opponent remembers their triggers right so you know and you know the the reality is that that some people are better than other people because they make fewer mistakes so if all of a sudden you want to eliminate a type of mistake from being able to be made in the game why then you know why why try to get better than other people at magic um you know i think that you know we've i've kind of had this discussion before but essentially like you know utilizing your opponent's mistakes to get an advantage in the game is um something that is just part of how the game works right you know finding lines to to win uh where your opponent needs to make a mistake i think is just part of you know 
finding the the harder lines to to win. And yep. you know, it's not always that clean cut because I there are lines that I won't cross, right? Like for example, I you know I probably could have. Uh, just kind of sat there and let Dylan get a bunch of stalling warnings for not being able to know how to kill me with KCI. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, if we're talking about, like, strict rules, I am pretty confident that I could have, you know, had a judge come over and, and and constantly ask Dylan to make a play while he's struggling to figure it out. And, you know, but that's just not right. really what I think the game should be about. You know, and that's just so far over my line that I'm more willing to show my my opponent how their thing works than I am to just kind of sit and, and wait for them to flounder until the judge tells them that they need to progress the board state. You know what I mean? It's also a different environment playing against someone like in an IQ and also he's your friend and teammate. Like if somebody plays KCI against me in an open or in a, in a GP and is failing to figure out how their combo works, I... I mean, it's going to depend a lot on the specifics of the situation and what they're messing up, but uh, I I don't know exactly what I would do in that situation. If they're just, like, not figuring out how to kill me with all their resources, then I, you know, know, we're we're in a GP, we're in an Open, we're we're at Comp REL, we're at a serious tournament that I paid a lot of money and, and worked really hard to get to. I, yeah. I, I, you know, in that environment, I think is... A different result and i understand but i think that the point is that you know there are lines that are within the rules that i will i will not cross right so you sure. you know i'm not saying that you should be 100 percent you know stickler to the to the rules as written um all the time you know i think that you know you should use your morals in some instances mm-hmm. um but uh you know um and maybe that example is bad because it was just you know so skewed in one direction but um, <laughs> you know uh i've become a lot more lenient for example on if my opponent has like a uh young pyromancer uh if they cast a spell and then it's like a little bit after they've like put something in the graveyard and then they reach for a token or something typically the first time that they do that i ask them to be more clear about their triggers when they're supposed to happen sure but you know um, and this is something that's changed for me in the past. You know, when I first started getting into magic, into competitive magic, I saw people getting other people on, you know, young pyromancer triggers, and I was like, okay, this is what I should do, and I did that. I, you know, somebody thought seizes me, and then I say, okay, and I show them my hand, and then they reach for a token, and I'm like, no, you missed it. Um, but now I think that I'm more along the lines of, you know, if that happens, then I'm going to say. In the future, I need you to be more clear about your triggers when they happen, and I'll probably, you know, if they if they wait too long and allow me to have their spell resolve, then I'm probably going to say the next time that they've missed it. But, but you know, that's that's just a kind of a line that I've created for myself, I guess, you know. And I'm not saying that that should be everybody's line. I think that's a choice that I've made, and I'm not really going to fault anybody for being more of a stickler to that line do recognize that it's not always you know it's going to vary both person person and situation to situation and it's not always going to be yeah one thing or the other yeah for sure if that makes sense yep um it's kind of just a brief summary of of where i'm at with triggers right now (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, you know, checking your opponent on a chalice is something that I do frequently and and really don't have any remorse for it. If you have a chalice of the void, then all of a sudden your responsibility is to remember that, you know, that it triggers off of your opponent's spells. And if, if you don't do that, then that's a mistake that you've made that you're going to get punished for. And I don't think that, you know, that's there's really a problem there. Yeah, completely. Um, because it is also true that there are often times where you should be casting things in a chalice of the void knowing that that trigger is going to happen. Like on Magic Online, I all the time I cast pump spells into a Chalice of the Void because I need to fill up my graveyard for a Become Immense. Yep. You know, that's just something that's going to be true. And it, then if my opponent in paper, if I'm doing the same thing and they miss it, then, you know, free pump spell. then that's their mistake. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so yeah, I it, it was kind of shocking to me to see that there were people who found Chalice checking to be questionable but then again not everybody in the like online community who plays magic is playing at competitive levels you know maybe if depending on who i'm playing at an fnm or something like that i would probably walk them through chalicing or something like that um but yeah if i'm at a gp or i'm at an open they've got a chalice i'm just casting my spells and i'm casting them confidently like like faithless looting like (laughs) like like body language as though I'm about to reach to my deck to draw two cards. Like, that is how that is happening. So, right. um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we don't need to work through every single thing. Uh, counterfeit magic cards are bad. Uh, <laughs> congrats to Jabberwocky for winning a GP. Super awesome. Um, don't try to get free promos. Don't try to get free no, promos. All, all the things. <laughs> That's lame. But yeah, I think... We probably can move on to uh, sort of your your story that you wanted to tell, and, and I, I think we want to make sure to dedicate enough time to that. Sure. Yeah, so where do I start? Well, so right now you are going back to school, right? And, and it's so been I'm a going back while. to school. So, right, so I guess I can start off a little earlier in my academic career. I, I graduated high school in three years, one year early. Just kind of, you know, like, I didn't really, you know enjoy that schooling process a lot and I think that at the time I was you know like questioning a lot of things and then I went I kind of burned out myself on high school a lot too I I kind of jammed everything into three years and like min maxed my course load Mm -hmm. I took seven AP classes in my last year which was not you know (laughs) not advisable but I did it you know and I graduated and I kind of I kind of at that point realized that I at the time I had pretty much labeled myself as a like a math and science guy, just because that those were the areas that I had excelled in and people told me that that I had aptitudes in, in those areas. So that's kind of like what I was focusing on. Mm-hmm. So I went to, I immediately went to university to do computer science, which is another thing that I was good at, but I didn't really enjoy it. So I went to, I went to UNC for one semester and dropped out immediately. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> And a lot of that was due to the fact that I I was kind of struggling with, you know, what I wanted to do. And I think that at that point I realized that my current trajectory was kind of taking me towards a 40-hour-a-week office job that I was going to hate, right? And a lot of that didn't sit well with me. And the other side of the coin was that at the time I was very depressed. And I think that depression and kind of mental illness in general is something that... I see a lot, especially in the magic community, 
you know, we're, we're all kind of a bunch of misfits <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of, you know, found this community that has, that is really awesome in a lot of ways. But, but I think mental illness is definitely one of the bigger, you know, issues for, for people of our generation, I guess. Uh, it just seems to be kind of everywhere um, that I've seen. And I've definitely struggled with myself. A lot of my family members have struggled with mental illness, depression in particular, I guess almost a year ago now, I lost a really close friend and teammate, Corey McDuffie, to mental illness. So, you know, a lot of this has been kind of a big part of my life for a long time now. And it's not something that we talk about a lot because it's not really that fun or exciting to talk about. But I think that maybe we should talk about it more kind of in an open sense of the fact that, you know, you see these figures in magic and you see you know, the success that they're having, and it's really good, and magic is an excellent outlet for a lot of these people who are struggling with these things. But you should know that, you know, uh, a lot of these people have very real struggles that they that they deal with. And, you know, and sometimes it, it's not clear until, you know, something really bad happens. So, you know, that's been a, a pretty big part of my life. And, and, you know, after dropping out of school, I, you know, I struggled a lot with depression. I, I went immediately to work at a local game store. Atomic Empire is my local game store. And, you know, after dropping out, I went there and kind of worked there for, I guess, a year or two. And that's kind of when my magic story began, where when I was working there, I was introduced to magic. Uh, I'd always kind of been part of, like, the the gaming community. I played Warhammer a lot before Mm -hmm. uh, being introduced to magic, but that's kind of, like, that was kind of like the, the, the catalyst of me being introduced to magic. And, you know, and the story, I think from there, a lot of people know more accurately where, you know, I, you know, I eventually had some success and joined a team, Team Lotus Box, and, you know, started writing and now this podcast and it's really going phenomenally for me. So I have so, you know, I'm so thankful and so grateful to be a part of this community because the community for me is honestly just the biggest part of it you know the game is great i love the game you know i love how the the ceiling for understanding this game is just so far beyond human capacity that there's always new things to learn and that kind of fulfills my need for learning and but the community is is just honestly been something else entirely and 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 way more important and has really taught me a lot of really valuable things that i know about myself now and I've, through that, I think that I've been able to grow a lot and kind of like understand my depression a little more. And so, you know, kind of, I guess a couple of months ago, I, you know, I mental illness in general has always kind of been this thing that's been a part of my life for a long time. And it's been a part of the lives of people that have been really close to me. And the other thing that I realized is that we don't really know a lot about how all that works. And I've been noticing that kind of the epidemic of depression and mental illness has really spread throughout our generation. And there, there seem to be so few, you know, solutions to that. And that's kind of why I want to go back to school is because I've realized that I... I feel like I have the capacity to be able to really dig into some research and do what I can to help further our understanding of what's going on 
both kind of like at a at a broader social point and kind of like from like you know more of a micro level of like individually what's going on in our minds so you know i feel like you know i've kind of stumbled across i guess this calling of like now i know what i want to do and in order to do that i you know i need to kind of pick up where i left off five years ago <laughs> to go back to school to be able to get into the academic sphere again to be able to do the research and do these things um, yeah i mean you're not picking up where you left off five years ago though because you're a different person and the experiences yeah, you've had that's are true. the reason you're doing this and that's right that wouldn't have happened five years ago for sure yeah so that's yeah that's a good point and right so you know so i feel like i've now i now i have this this really concrete goal in mind um i feel like i can go back to school because the problem for me was that you know i never really had i guess a calling before you know and it, and a lot of my life leading up to me dropping out of school was um i i always wanted to do things for other people so all of the other people in my life that i loved and respected told me that i should go to school for computer science to get some sort of job or whatever that was gonna you know get me set or whatever but something something about that and i think that the specifically the part where i was just kind of doing what other people wanted me to do and not mm -hmm. doing what i wanted to do was what really shook me enough to to drop out of college initially and 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 you know <laughs> pursue a career in, in magic right which i've which i've done and i feel really proud about you know what i've been able to accomplish here but you know but now now that i feel like i've kind of figured things out i guess a little more i you know i'm excited to go back to school and i feel you know I feel like every day that i get up and go to school and and the classes that i'm taking are pretty menial you know i'm, I'm getting an associate's degree so that i can transfer back to a four-year university so that I can, you know, really get into the stuff that I want to do. But it all kind of feels worth it now that I I have an objective, right? Yeah. So I guess kind of the reason that I want to talk about all this is that I know that a lot of people, especially in the magic community, are in a point in their life where they're not really sure what they want. <laughs> uh -huh. And that's not really something that we talk about a lot. You know, we especially you know in this community we we like wrapping ourselves up in this game but the reality is that we all have our struggles that we kind of go through and you know and kind of like hide under everything else but i i kind of wanted to surface my own stuff and and share my story because i feel like the the takeaway that that i want to give is that you know if you if you take your time to really figure out you know and really listen to yourself about what you want to do you can you can do it right and no doors are ever really truly closed um which is which is definitely something that i felt after i initially dropped out of college i felt like that was it yeah so the takeaway was that i you know you might feel like you are you don't really know what you want to do but and and that's something that i definitely felt like when i when i initially dropped out of college is that i felt like those doors were closed to me and I felt like I had, you know, kind of blown it and had no room to to go back. And for a long time, I believed that I didn't want to go back to school. And, you know, and for as long as I didn't have a goal 
or kind of like any sort of objective, I think that was that was right for me to believe. Where mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it seemed like getting some sort of education on some some you know something that was just not what I want, like not oriented towards what I wanted to do with my life seemed so pointless. Um, and I think that a lot of people, especially when they're, you know, that age where they're trying to figure things out and going to school initially, so many people kind of, it's so easy to get it wrong because you at that stage of your life have no idea what you want to do. And, and I feel like we kind of force people in this society to make that decision way earlier than they're ready to make it. And, and that's just kind of been something that I've been thinking a lot about lately where, um, I've, you know, I, I had a trajectory and I, you know, in, in some manic episode decided to (laughs) dash it all away and and run away and do what I wanted to do, which was play magic. But honestly, the, those five years of, of learning and self-growth were, invaluable to me and I feel like I am now beginning to see the rewards of that and so I just kind of wanted to share that for anybody who might be trying to figure it out and not really sure what they wanted to do and maybe feeling a lot of pressure from you know the people around them I you know when I dropped out like both of both of my parents are you know upper academic people you know my mom's a professor and, you know, my, my dad went to a, a really prestigious university. Um, so it was hard for me, especially considering the expectations that I felt like I had based on, you know, these people in my life, my grandparents, all these things. You know, it, it was definitely a struggle for me um, to kind of like uh, feel like I was letting everybody down because there's some false time pressure that I felt like I needed to make a decision about it. So I guess, you know, if you're in a position where you're you're not really sure what you want to do, take the time to genuinely figure it out for yourself. And that could take five years. And I think that mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, because if you can get to the point where you've actually figured out what you want to do and you're, what you're pursuing is something that's more accurate towards what is going to be fulfilling for you, then that's going to be so much more valuable than, you know, graduating high school, immediately going to college, getting some degree that you might not use later on. <laughs> um, it feels like college right now is is kind of a trap for a lot of people, you know, who don't who don't really know at that young of an age. Right. It's just kind of what you do. So you go do it because it's expected of you. Right. It, because it's quote unquote what's next, right? Yep. And but that's such a trap, I feel like. You know, you're it's you know, it's so impossible to know at that age, especially what you want to do with the rest of your life, that so many people are gonna are gonna get it wrong and then have a degree that's not useful to them. Or maybe they've just, you know, have a degree that they never needed in the first place. I think that one of the honestly one of the better options for a lot of people is just to, you know, learn a skill and and apply that instead, you know, if if you want to you know to be a doer right like a mechanic or something like that Mm -hmm. so so yeah you know i uh i've been thinking about a lot of these things and a lot of it has to do with you know me recognizing a lot of these patterns in magic community which is why i want to talk about it here on the podcast just to i don't know share share you know what i'm doing and you know hopefully somebody can take something away from that
so yeah, I, I think there's there's two things that I want to kind of address and maybe ask about a little bit. And yeah, so number one, I, I think that that kind of like getting away from from expectations is really important. I think a lot of people in the magic community, and the magic community is pretty diverse. There's people from a lot of different backgrounds, lots of different like socioeconomic places, but given the nature of the game, a lot of people who play it tend to be from pretty similar backgrounds to us. Uh, you know, we, we there's a there's a lot of middle class to upper middle class, uh, academically gifted, but potentially, you know, not as focused, uh, especially after like middle and high school, who like have this expectation of going to college and have like, you know, the the sort of like idea of what it means to be successful. Um, and I think that can be pretty tough to get over. Uh, I definitely just did the regular thing. I, I got good grades in high school. I went to a good college. I like plowed my way through college without thinking too hard about the decisions I was making. And then I ended up with the, you know, a degree that I don't know if it's the right thing for me. I never like really sat down and thought about it hard enough. It was just like, I was going to college because I was supposed to go to college and I finished college cause I was supposed to finish college. Um, right. And yeah, I think that sitting down and thinking about that a little harder, I would have been much more prepared for college if I had gone when I was 22 years old than, than the <laughs> going when I was 18. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, you know, and I feel like now that I have a goal, it just gives me the, the energy and the motivation to be able to do it, which I think was a lot of the problem that I had initially where when I first tried to go to college, I didn't have any of that. And, mm -hmm. and doing any menial tasks was impossible. And I think of the, you know, a lot of that was due to the depression. And if you've suffered from depression, then, then, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But, but I think a lot of that was due to me not really having any direction. And now that I do have this direction, I have this drive to be able to get up and do it, you know. And on the third day of classes... I broke my arm and I went to class the next day because I I was I just had that drive to be able to do it and I I was so ready to go to school and 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 get this and and move on to the next level where I wasn't going to let breaking my arm get in the way of that. That's dope. And and to somebody who's been depressed, that motivation is so unfathomable that, you know, it it, it's crazy for me to be able to be in a in a situation to to have that kind of motivation because when I was depressed I thought that I would never be able to do that you know just if you give yourself the time and you and you pay attention to yourself and what you want you know I think that you you can you can do anything and and you know and I know that the depression is is crippling and I and and that's why I want to really dig into the academic sphere and see what I can figure out because I think that there's so much that we don't know about depression in particular and just mental illness in general and because the ways that our society has of handling that currently are just band-aids you yep. know we you know we prescribe medicine you know we do all this other stuff that that's not really in my mind solving any problems so I want to, you know, I want to try to make a difference, right, with that. And I want to, you know, cause I want to help. 
So Yeah. And, and I think just talking about it is really huge. You know, like we're not on this podcast, we're not going to have answers. Like I'm sure that a huge number of people listening to us have suffered from depression in the past or are currently suffering from depressive symptoms. And, and nothing we say here is going to like snap someone out of their depression because that's not how it works. But no, hopefully sure. talking about it, you know, I, that's one of the things that I think our, you know, generation is doing a pretty good job of is not letting mental illness just be in the shadows. Like it is be suffering from depression, having depression, being depressed is not a thing to be ashamed of. And the more we talk about it, like the more I think we can uh, tell other people that it's it's not like you can ask for help, whether it's asking your friends or asking for professional help. You know, my like it's, it happens in my family, too. I I haven't suffered from depression, at least, you know, not to a, a level that that I think would be diagnosable or anything like that, not to a level where I've needed medication but my my brother suffered from very serious mental illness that ended up and ended up killing him and my sister has also suffered from from anxiety and depression and it's so so like these issues are really really close to to my heart too and Mm -hmm. i know just how crippling it can be and I, I hope it's not too like paternalistic for me to say that I'm proud of you and I'm I'm glad that <laughs> you know you have this goal, and I I, I hope you feel you know like it you know de- depression comes back sometimes and sometimes you might not feel yeah. as good about all these things and and I hope that you know you know that you know there are people you can come to you can always come to me and that's not always going to fix everything but like. <laughs> Just feeling, just having it come back doesn't mean that, like, you are now failing at not being depressed or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, depression for me as well has has been in my family a lot. You know, my dad in particular and my, my sister um, are both still struggling with it today in a really big way. And uh, a lot of people in my life has, have really struggled. And so, you know, I feel like I have this understanding of it that I hope to be able to utilize... Um, in the future. And, and yeah, and I, I totally agree with you that I'm, you know, I'm not saying that you can just snap out of it at all. I'm, you know, I'm just kind of trying to give my story of, of, right, of, right. you know, what's, what's happening with my life and, and hopefully that can, that other people can hear that and, and maybe, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that idea of like, you know, everybody has to operate on their own timeline as well. And just because, you have not gone through exactly the pathway of like go to college at 18, graduate at 22, like make sure that everything happens right on schedule. Like I think that expectation can, you know, be can sort of like combine yeah. with with some with mental illness to to really like drive the point home and, and make you feel like you're you're failing at something that's not not expectations aren't always reasonable you are not like you can't be failing at life like you're living life you're doing things and just because you're not doing things on some specific timeline doesn't mean that you're messing up yeah and you know for a long time i was very ashamed that i dropped out of school you know Mm -hmm. um but looking back i can kind of see 
that that is, you know, kind of like a, a an attitude towards it that society put on me, but not something that I think should be, you know, that I think is reasonable at all. I think, you know, I'm, I'm no longer ashamed of the trajectory that I've taken. And I, I think that I've been like that for, you know, a couple of years now is that I, you know, my initial my initial shame of of doing all of that has been gone because i've found you know this new passion that i've been able to pour all of my energy into uh which has been really good for me um so right so I, so now you know i i feel motivated and and better about things and you know so i i want i guess the message that i want to give out is that if you do feel you know bad about your situation or anything like that it's going to be okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as long as you're still, you know, getting up in the morning, then, then you can, you know, you, sh- you can do it. Yep, definitely. So that's kind of a, a little, little snapshot of my story and, and where I'm at now and what I'm doing. So I, I think that my like life is something that I've, I've avoided talking about for a long time. You know, I don't, but I, you know, I think that it should be talked about more um, and should people in general should be more open about that kind of thing so that 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 attitude becomes the norm and not the you should be ashamed if you're not doing what everybody else is doing attitude mm-hmm. that currently is the norm yeah yeah well hopefully this helps somebody who is listening you know we are not the biggest podcast by any means we are not the biggest magic podcast by any <laughs> means but We've got enough people listening to us that I feel like talking about this stuff every once in a while is an important thing to do. So I'm really glad that that you brought it up and wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I covered most of my my the thoughts on all of that. So I don't know if there's anything else that we want to hit for in you know on that on that stream. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not thinking of anything specific. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing how school is going and, and where you're taking that from here. Um, but that is for the future. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I made it through breaking my arm on the third day, so we'll see right. what other obstacles it's, it's present really, themselves. <laughs> it's, it's really just, you know, uphill from here. So should be fine. Well, yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, then I, I think... We can probably call that a show. Uh, we'll we'll pick back up with all our usual segments and, and hard-hitting magic discussion next week. But for now, just want to thank, thank everybody for listening and take care of yourselves out there. Like, focus on, on self-care when you need to. Don't let society tell you that you are not doing a good job of managing your own life. And, you know, come talk to us if you need to. Like, we are on the internet. You can totally find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find us uh, on, on, on Facebook and stuff. Uh, I'm tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Um, I mean, like, my DMs are open. Uh, I don't know if anybody is listening to this and feeling really inspired or just feeling like they need somebody to talk to, but if you do, I, 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 I'm happy to talk to you. I'm sure Collins is the same. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Always willing to get reached out to on, on the internet. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week. All right, peace.